Good Monday morning and welcome to Connect, the California MBA's weekly podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with movers and shakers in the mortgage industry. I'm Dustin Hobbs, Communications Director at the California MBA, and it's August. The calendar has turned. We're now in uh, August. We've got our Western Secondary Market Conference coming up later this month. And so this month, we're going to spend our time on Connect talking to some of the leaders in the residential lending industry. We've got a great guest today. Excited to get into the conversation with him here in just a moment. But before we do that, let's thank our sponsors over at Incelerate. So Incelerate helps lenders close more loans through better borrower engagement. The mortgage industry's most innovative customer experience platform delivers lead management, sales enablement, engagement, a robust mortgage content-specific library, and data intelligence all in one comprehensive and highly scalable platform. Incelerate delivers dynamic technology, strategy, and content for every channel of your business to ensure engagement throughout the customer journey whether that's with your borrowers, your referral partners, or any other party to the transaction. The dynamic enterprise solution seamlessly fits into your tech stack, whether that's your your phone integration, your POS, LOS, servicing system, data enrichment, and that's all due to the advanced API connectivity, modern design, and open architecture. So gone are the days of managing multiple and separate systems, like your CRM, your marketing automation, lead management, and having having that data trapped in those silos. This innovative platform allows you to provide your internal and external customers timely, relevant information based on data intelligence to build repeatable outcomes at each stage of the customer's journey. So bottom line, with Incelerate, you close more loans, improve borrower conversions, and enhance customer retention, transform your customer acquisition lifecycle, and create customers for life. So to get a personalized demo, go to Incelerate.com, or you can dial the number listed in here in the description below. So before we get into the conversation, I want to toss it over to Susan Malazzo, our CEO, for this week's weekly update. Susan. Thanks, Dustin. Hi, this is Susan with California MBA. And today I would like to talk to all of you in the residential mortgage lending space that understand the important role that technology plays, uh, customer service, reaching those customers, and cost efficiencies within your company. Visit mortgageinnovators.com. Now, many of you might have participated in our conferences over the past couple of years, but now this is a site that's available to you every day of the year, and I'll give you resources and information on uh, technology solutions for every aspect of the life cycle of the loan, including acquisition, origination, processing, closing, post-closing, and capital markets. So it's one-stop shopping for all of your technology needs. Visit mortgageinnovators.com today to find out all the information you need about what's hot in the technology space. Back to you, Dustin. All right, thanks, Susan. Now let's get into the conversation. I'm excited to welcome in a uh, friend of the association, Mike Fontaine. He is the co-president and COO of Plaza Home Mortgage in San Diego. Mike, welcome. Hi, Dustin. Thanks for having me on today. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you. Mike has been on our board of directors for a number of years, as well as uh, being one of the leaders in the industry. And I know I think Mike's been at uh, Plaza for quite some time now, so he's got a lot of uh, experience and a lot of uh, interesting insight I think we're going to get into here in a moment. So, but uh, let's start, Mike, with your background here. What, uh, for those that maybe don't know you well, how did you get started in the industry and what uh, what led you to uh, where you're at at Plaza? Well, then uh, at Plaza over 17 years now, and uh, I started actually as a CFO over at Plaza, and then uh, my role evolved uh, 
over the last several years into more of the COO and then recently into the co-president position. Uh, I, I guess started a little different maybe than some of the people in the industry. I, I didn't grow up in the mortgage industry like uh, like a lot of my, my peers out there. I was in uh, a few different CFO positions at different companies, uh, but you know, primarily in C- CFO or senior management positions uh, in, in other industries for, you know, for over 30 years now. And, uh, you know, started in finance uh, background, uh, undergrad and management science graduate uh, degree in uh, uh, accounting, uh, master's in accounting there. So a little, little different maybe though, I went up, I, I was involved in other industries in prior to Plaza had uh, about uh, 10, 11 years in the distribution industry and sold the company. And so after it sold, I had to stay on for a year as part of that deal. And it was a large uh, international uh, organization that bought it and realized I didn't really want to work in that environment anymore. So let them know I was going to you know, move on after my, my required one year. And at the same time, uh, kind, of, kind of toward the end of that, that year, uh, interesting little opportunity came up uh, where I was able to to meet with Kevin Parra, who was one of the uh, founders of Plaza and uh, is our CEO today still. And the, we, we met and uh, worked it out. So I, I was able to, to join. But the uh, funny little story on that, I guess it maybe is, uh, so Kevin's daughter and my niece were in kindergarten together at the time. And uh, they they ran into each other over in Hawaii at a vacation and my brother, who was my sales manager at my last organization, uh, working for me, uh, ran into Kevin and they started talking. Kevin was saying, hey, I, you know, I need to look at my company's growing. Uh, a company only a couple of three years old at that time and uh, looking for a CFO. And my brother said, well, I know, you know, I know somebody's good. He happens to be my brother, but uh, but uh, anyway, so we worked it out after that, and so I guess you could say my uh, my niece was my uh, my recruiter for the company. <laughs> you know, and, and then the funny part about that is uh, she graduated college last year and came to work for us for about six months or so right after college as she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do and uh, working with uh, with kids as going forward. So anyway, things small world things kind of come around in odd ways sometimes. That's such a cool story. I had no idea. That's really that's really a cool story. Uh, definitely, you had the the youngest youngest recruiter around there. That, that's uh, that's pretty funny. I think so, yes. So, so this uh, this last year obviously has been you know uh, to say the least a challenge. So I'm curious from your perspective, going through the both the the refi boom that we've gone through. I know that there's been a lot of growth at uh, at Plaza, and obviously the the COVID uh, pandemic here. What's been from your perspective the most important lesson you've learned, whether that's professional or personal? Well, you know, I think on the professional side, uh, it what this last year and year and a half now almost uh, showed me was how resilient people are and how people can adapt. And I, I think maybe going in, I wouldn't have given the opportunity if, if somebody had asked me two years ago, hey, you know, you're going to your whole workforce is going to have to go remote immediately with literally with a about a one day notice uh, and not figuratively, but literally a one day notice there. Uh, you're going you're going to go remote the whole company and you're going to be able to succeed. And, and by the way, you're gonna have the, the largest origination year in the history of the mortgage industry. Uh, you know, it would have been no way, it's, you know, it's gonna be a big failure. So, uh, but I, what I did learn though, is that people are resilient. They're able to adapt. A lot of the people that, that we had working for us uh, that, that really, I think, 
were resistant saying there's no, I can't do it. I'm not going to be able to do it. Uh, you, you know, you fast forward now and they're the ones that are saying, Hey, I still like working at home. So, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's great to see how people were able to adapt. We have an incredibly talented workforce and all of our associates were really able to step it up and, and move forward. You know, the industry, I think did a great job also of adapting and serving the you know, homeowners, the, the refinance business was, incredibly strong with rates dropping last year and but they also were still able to maintain getting the purchase business done and that was especially challenging when you look at the the restrictions in a lot of areas on not being able to do appraisals or even meet with a closing agent you know i i remember walking down my street seeing people signing loan docs or look to be loan docs uh, literally on the hood of a car uh, a couple houses away you know last summer uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure it was a notary that was over there and they were trying to get the closing done. And, and you know, it's just people just had to had to deal with it and adapt. So I think that was that was one of the biggest lessons that I think uh, I learned was people can adapt. People can move to new environments and, uh, you know, uh, step up to the challenge there. So and yeah. on the personal side, I, you know, I happened to get married uh, literally two weeks before we shut our offices down last year. So it went to, from being single to having, uh, you know, getting married and then fully locked down for a year. So things are going good a year, year plus later. So uh, I guess it worked out. Uh, yes, so you, you fast forwarded the, uh, a lot of relationship steps there where, you know, you had the, all that time during the day where you would have been apart and had your own spaces. And suddenly, you know, there's no, there's no private space. There was no, there was no space, that's for sure. So, yeah, but it's good. Yeah, no, no, no kidding. So uh, I'm curious here. Now you're you're one of the. Uh, I don't think there's there's not that many uh, folks in the industry in your position. I think who have gone who went through the uh, the 2008 financial crisis and this one now. And I think you know years beyond. I think we're going to look back. These two were one of the two of the most trying times in uh, in you know in the last maybe 50 or 100 years of uh, you know financial history. And so I'm curious from your perspective, how did or did the uh, the experience you went through in 2008, the uh, you know worldwide financial collapse and the uh, foreclosure crisis that drug on for a couple of years beyond that, how did that prepare you for uh, what we just went through in the last, as you said, last year and a half or so? Well, I think the you know the the, the 2007-2008 collapse there was was a, something that really you had to uh, adapt very quickly to and things were changing overnight uh, and we saw that again this time we saw a lot of change overnight uh, you know the very early stages of the pandemic uh and the shutdown of the offices there was the the big whipsaw in in the market on the on the rates so you know we went from one week uh you know our hedge positions and this is not just us it's everybody in the industry pretty much you know where the the dealers were owing them a lot of money because of the market movement to a week later it was the other way around and so companies were scrambling trying to come up with money for margin calls and making sure that they were protecting their pipeline and still had enough coverage and and their volumes were starting to swell again and so that was a that was a big challenge for the industry i think the industry did a great job of stepping up uh i didn't hear about too many people that didn't make margin calls uh i think that was a it was important for the industry to be able to do that and it, it but it, what it showed you is that that you have to really be willing to adapt and to and to understand what's going on and you know one of the lessons with that and i think that, that a lot of people really need to think about is 
communication. You have to communicate with the with the the dealers you're working with, with the investors that are that are out there, with the warehouse banks, and having those relationships and being honest with them and, and letting them know where you stand is is incredibly important for any any business leader uh, to to make sure that they are communicating and being honest and 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 say, hey, here, here's my plan. I have a plan. This is what I'm doing. But also, you know, you have to plan for for worst case scenarios all the time. Like, I don't think anybody thought that there could be that much margin and interest rate swing in a in a uh, seven day period. Uh, it was certainly towards the outer edges of what would be expected. And with that, people had to 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 look into what the resources were. So I think that was that was a big lesson on it. Uh, you know, one of the other lessons I that I've learned over the years, and it's not just really those two events, uh, but Everywhere in between, there's been a lot of, a lot of ups and downs uh, in the industry. Is you have to make sure that you're able to serve your customers, and you have to to make sure that you're providing the staffing uh, and looking forward to provide staff uh, the right level of staff, but not be too overstaffed at the same time because margins are thin in our industry, and that's important to make sure you're watching the cost on it, but at the same time being able to serve the customers and get the loans closed for them. It's, you know, the, the importance, especially in a purchase environment, uh, is, is even more important to, to make sure you're closing, you know, on time, you're not delaying closings. Refinance, if it's, you know, if it happens a couple of days later, it's less of an issue, but it's still an issue. It's a reputational issue that people need to deal with. And really that's something that, uh, that, that we take uh, seriously and, and are always on top of. And I think uh, that's a, it's important to make sure that you're maintaining the, the correct staff and watching your expenses. You know, last year the industry did well, uh, but uh, you still need to watch the, you know, watch the bottom line on that. So yeah, absolutely. So I mean, you, you mentioned uh, you're kind of getting into some some people issues there, and I think it's uh, you know it's important, an interesting question to ask, especially someone who has been at the company for as long as you have, and you've kind of seen it rise from being you know more or less a startup to where you're at now. You know how important? How have you guys built that culture uh, at uh, at Plaza? And I mean, I've seen just from my vantage point, uh, you guys have been members of the California MBA for you know as long as I've been here, and so I've kind of got to watch from the sidelines as you guys have built the culture and built the company up. But just from your perspective, you know, how has that process been, and how have you dealt with that over the past year or so with everyone suddenly, as you put it, with on a one day notice having to work you know uh, separately and and you know essentially don't get to see each other except through Zoom for the last eighteen months. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, uh, again, I think our associates did a, an amazing job of stepping up and 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 wanting to do the right thing. And and and, but the culture is is critical. I mean, culture is harder to maintain for sure when you're in this Zoom environment or or uh, or doing video calls or audio conference calls or whatever. It's it's really much more challenging, I think, uh, to do that. Uh, but it's communicating with them, letting them know what's going on. In this particular situation, it was a little more challenging because really none of us had been there before. So it, we didn't have a, a oh, okay, this is what happens when a company has this event happen to them or something. It's It was a new Was it new in the handbook, huh? game, right? I mean, we not, none of us knew what tomorrow had, had coming on it. And what, you know, so much stuff outside of our control was that, what was going to happen and where the, you know, should you, should you allow people to, to do this or that? And it's like, I don't know. It's, you know, so, and I was honest. I'm like, I, look, I haven't been here before. I'm trying to do the best that I can to, to, to lead you guys and guide you. And, but, uh, but there's no, 
there's no uh, textbook I can go back to and say, hey, this is this is that what you should do in this situation in an environment like this. So we worked as a team, uh, got a lot of input from from our our management group, and they you know they did a great job. We had regular meetings, we communicated everything out that we could to the uh, to the associates. We also tried to keep them engaged from a cultural standpoint. You know, keep reminding them that they work for a great organization and that they're a big, major part of that organization. That they are our, our biggest asset. You know, our, without our people, we we don't have an organization. So uh, we know that, and they know that. And we tried to continue to remind them of stuff. Uh, did things for them. And tried to do something for them every month that that showed that we cared and that we appreciated their efforts. Uh, and and that was uh, that was really one ma way to maintain the culture. It was difficult. Uh, I, you know, I personally like to be able to walk around the office and say hi to people and and interact and find out what's going on and just just chat with them for a couple of minutes and and make sure that they know that that we're accessible. You know, we are a, a relatively flat management organization, I think, uh, for the size of the company, and and our doors are open, so they you know they know that they can they can approach me or or one of the other. Uh, executives in the company and talk anytime and so it, it was it was tough it was tough on me personally to not be able to to say hi to people and to see them except for on the zoom calls and you just don't have that same interaction but uh, you know now that we're back in the office uh, it is it is nice um, you know we we've been back now for what uh, about a month and a half and it's uh, it's good we, you know, we we're on a hybrid work environment now so most people are coming in two to three days a week and then working at home the other day. So they're, they're getting used to that, that cycle, but it's also good because I think they're starting to feel back like they're, you know, part of the company again and, and, and able to get back into more of a routine than, than this, you know, what was, what was temporary, but became a, you know, 15, 16 months, whatever deal there, uh, of not so temporary, uh, environment. So, uh, it's nice to be back and, and nice to, be able to see people face to face without having to see them through a computer screen all the time. Yeah, no, I'm sure. And I think you make a, you know, it's an interesting, uh, interesting thought experiment where, you know, so much of uh, executive leadership and just leadership concepts in general all focus around the interpersonal, you know, interaction that happens in a face to face environment. And so much of theory about how to lead an organization and how to build organizations and from the people perspective is all built around, you know, seeing people face to face. And I think it's really been a uh, interesting to watch organizations last year. You really, and I think we'll see in the coming years when you look at employee retention rates and stuff like that, how well these cultures were saturated, how well they were, I guess, rooted in the employees themselves. And if they were rooted then they survived. The the culture survives the uh, you know the time apart. When you come back together, you can you know that glue is still there. That culture is still there. And uh, and then the companies that you know didn't really have a deep abiding culture, something that was more just kind of for show. I think it's going to show up in the next couple of years. So I think you you make some good points there. Yeah, we I mean we definitely feel you know that, that, that there's really one big family and environment there and. And you know nobody's just a number around here, and they're you know we care about the the associates. We want them to feel part of the the Plaza family all the time, and and they and they they know that they they are a big contributor to our success, and uh, and it's their it's you know it's really a mutual success. Our success is their success as well. So uh, we appreciate all the efforts, and I think we have a great team. They do an amazing job.
Absolutely. Well, let's switch gears here for a second. So, you know, as the industry is starting to, uh, well, I should say starting to, the industry is transitioning from, you know, as we've talked about, the, the refi boom that we've been in the last couple of years uh, back to more of a, a purchase focused market. What's What are you guys doing as far as a strategy? What's changing on you from your perspective? Well, so it's interesting on that area for us because we've always been a very purchase oriented lender so so for us it's it's actually getting back to our kind of our roots and and our where we really shine on that on the purchase side there and that's because we we spend a lot of time and effort on educating our our customers which you know we're almost all third party so it's so it's the it's the brokers and bankers that we're working with that we're educating so that they can help make sure that they're putting the consumer in the right loan for them for especially in the purchase market so we offer programs like you know that are really focused on first-time home buyer programs and uh, you know 203ks and home styles and and even even uh, uh the reverse mortgage for purchase we you know we offer so definitely programs that are very focused on on purchase business and that's really where we we have, have always focused our, our efforts and 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 the realtor relationships that go along with it as you know as to, for the you know for the loan officers that are working with the brokers and the bankers that we work with so helping support them is really the the key on that side and so with that we do a lot of education and training we have a, a incredible training department we're always putting out uh, webinars and seminars and and uh, training events constantly so that we can educate the industry and and our customer base so that they can they can really provide the right the right loan product for the for the consumer on that so and and with that also we you know we do a lot of government lending too so the you know the the VA USDA FHA loans uh, we have a lot of experience in that area and with that we're able to uh, really help the the home buyer on that because those are a lot of those are you know really geared towards the purchases as well as the you know low to moderate income that goes along with with some of those loans. So it's a it's a area that we we look forward to being in a purchase environment. Yeah. So you know as you guys are you know uh, working to uh, get back to your your uh, your roots there, like you said your your wheelhouse in uh, purchase, and you're looking at some of the economic factors that uh, you know kind of. Feed into data-wise, input-wise, into those decisions. You know, what are you guys looking at other than like, the obvious ones like interest rates or uh, uh, you know, sort of those obvious market factors? What do you guys look at as far as maybe having the biggest impact on the market here, maybe in in 2022, say, looking far ahead in the future? So I think you know, just if you look at the overall economy next year, it's I think that that you know, outside interest rates, uh, the Kind of the normalization, hopefully, maybe I'm just hopeful on this, but with the normalization of the supply chain worldwide, you know, uh, this this pandemic has really caused a disruption in supply chains. Uh, you look at things like shipping costs right now are, are skyrocketed for 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 uh, you know for boat travel across you know from from the, the Orient to the U.S. as an example. I mean, freight costs are double or triple or even further than that on it. There. But then also things. That have have really been disrupted. That that you wouldn't really think on the surface would be so disruptive. Things like the the chip shortage that is causing automobile industry to to really have a, a struggle right now uh, is you know you think well what do you mean chips I mean there should be that shouldn't be a big issue but cars have hundreds of chips in them now and so it's it's a big that's a big disruption I mean go drive by any car lot now and and it looks like 
somebody stole half the cars and, and nobody's there. It's 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 weird. It's, you know, there's not there's not a full lot anymore. And uh, so hopefully by you know by next year that stuff will start normalizing. People will be able to start buying uh, stuff that they that they uh, would you know normally expect, and that will tame inflation. That sh or it should tame inflation at least, hopefully, because uh, we have seen a lot of inflation recently. But it's you know that's the transitory inflation that they've been talking about at the Fed level, and and you know that's again supply chain oriented. I I believe at that at that level. So outside interest rates that will help, and then and then getting the, and then in the housing side of it, uh, which will help the help the, the the housing part is is the the supplies that go into in the manufacturing house also are are starting to come back you know some of the lumber prices uh, are coming down a lot now again uh, because the mills are getting back on online so those those are big factors there and then you know the labor labor kind of labor shortage really that's going on in, on housing uh, should hopefully normalize uh, you know the next several months here so one of the uh, one of the factors that uh, um, you kind of briefly touched on there, but I think is uh, is definitely a big one, and there's been it's actually been in the news in the last couple of days is uh, housing inventory. Seems like we've got a little bit of relief uh, some, from some of the latest figures that are out. But uh, do you think that are we you know on the on the verge of seeing a uh, a big increase in supply, or are we still going to see tight inventory for the foreseeable future? Uh, unfortunately, I think we're going to see a tight inventory for the foreseeable future. It's uh, it, you know, we, we're getting a little bit of relief, like you said, on uh, some of the supply, but it's it's a multi-year lack of supply compared to the demand, and, it, and it's been going on for over 10 years now, where we're producing less than the demand each year. So, so each year it gets further and further away from from being in in sync or supply and demand on an annual basis. So, uh, it takes a long time for that to come back around. The new housing, it takes years in most most markets to go from, okay, we're going to build in this environment to to actually putting you know sticks in the ground. And especially in places like California, where it takes a very long time for the development process to to come around on it there. So I don't really, unfortunately, I don't see a lot of relief in sight. Uh, it's again, it's, it's just a, a, a we're in a big hole from a supply and demand standpoint. So it's, it's, you know, it's looking like prices are going to settle a little bit, uh, but I don't, I don't anticipate them going down. It's just maybe not quite so fast as they've been going up. I mean, the, the inflation over the last 12 months has been far outpacing the annual uh, overall inflation uh, from a housing standpoint. So it, yeah, it maybe needs we'll to go from, maybe we'll go from white hot to red hot, huh? At least yes. that would at least that would be a, somewhat of a a, a cooling, um, at least in the in the rate of growth here. So uh, last question here, we're starting to get a little tight on time here. So we got time for one more question. And uh, I know that you're a uh, like I said uh, at the outset, you've been a big supporter of the California MBA for a number of years in the National MBA. And so I'm curious if you're talking to a colleague who's you know at, uh, in an executive role at another lender that's not a member of either the National MBA or the uh, California MBA. What's your what's your pitch to them as far as why they should support those the advocacy work that that uh, both groups do both in Congress and then here in California at the uh, in Sacramento? So I, I you know I, I think that's a great question. I, I believe that that both those organizations really are supporting our industry, which is really where our paychecks come from, and and it's it's a it's important that we 
provide access to credit to the homeowners out there and the advocacy work that's done by the California MBA as well as the national MBA and the other state MBAs is critical to make sure that we're providing fair housing rules out there that protect the consumer, but at the same time, don't provide ir irrational rules where the lenders can't lend and are, are not being treated fairly as well. And it's, it's that, because if they're not, because the lenders feel like they're not being treated fairly in the, in the situation there, then, then they just have to increase the price to the consumer to, to cover that. And so that's one of the things that I think gets lost a little bit sometimes in when legislation maybe get proposed. And that's why the, where the advocacy of the California MBA as well as the National MBA and the Mortgage Action Alliance and, and then you know other state, the state MBA programs uh, really come, come around to, to help open the eyes of, of the legislators to make sure that they're not proposing stuff that's going to limit credit and where they, they may think on the surface that it's that it's increasing it. So it's it's important to that we advocate in there and, and that that's the best way to do it is by being involved in your state and your and really in the national MBA and then also with Mortgage Action Alliance as well. Yeah, no, I think that's good. And, and to your point, I think that it's it's very much about the advocacy work is very much about education. And you know it's it's tough to expect legislators to be experts in, you know, how, I mean, because the mortgage in the financial world itself, but you know, mortgage in specific is so, you know, intricate and, and uh, you know, any move on any push on one side, there's going to be reaction on the other side. It's very tough to tell from a legislator standpoint, if I'm not in the, if I don't have a background in the financial world, or if I don't, you know, really have that, that baseline of education on how it works, then it can be really tough to know if I'm, you know, I'm just trying to protect consumers. So I'm going to, you know, propose this bill. And it's very helpful then for advocates, both whether that's again in Congress or here in Sacramento, for our advocates to go in there and explain this is what will actually happen on the ground. And here's, you know, here's let me put you in touch with one of our members, and they can actually explain to you because they do this every day. So I, I think you make a good point there. Well, hey Mike, great to uh, great to chat with you. Great to see you. Hopefully, we'll uh, see each other in person here at our Western Secondary Market Conference. If uh, you're not registered for that already. Definitely do that. You can go to westernsecondary.com. The conference is going to be live and in person in uh, Dana Point on August 24th through the 26th at the Waldorf Astoria Monarch Beach Resort and Club. So definitely invite everyone to join. I think that'll be a, a great event. And uh, I think there'll be there's some pent up demand for handshakes. So I think uh, we'll all be looking forward to getting back in person. And Mike, look forward to seeing you then. Look forward to it. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And if you enjoyed the conversation here, make sure and subscribe to us on our YouTube channel. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and uh, we'll be back again next week for another episode of Connect. We'll see you then.